Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Now, here's the host of WP Tonic, Jonathan Dinwood and John Locke. Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 197. Today, we've got the immense pleasure of having as our guest, Amy Porterfield. Amy, for those who don't know uh, who you are, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks so much for having me on, my sh- on your show. Not my show, but your show. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. Um, a little bit about myself. So I teach growing entrepreneurs how to build their email list, how to create online courses, and how to promote their online courses with webinars. And so we focus a lot on content creation and using lead magnets to grow your email list and putting together your content to sell. So all those things related to growing an info marketing business online. Excellent. Uh, So getting right into it, the first, first question we want to ask you is, you know, email marketing is still seen as one of the most effective ways to market and, you know, reach new and existing leads. However, it seems to be getting more difficult to get a, attention inside people's inboxes. Uh, a lot of people just delete stuff or, or they, uh, you know, just uh, archive it and never look at it. Do you have any insights on how to do effective list building and email marketing and, and capture people's attention? I think one of the things that is working right now that is making a difference for people to actually open up your emails and read what you have to say is consistency. And you hear it all the time, but it's still very true, building a relationship and engagement. So what I mean by that is when you are creating original content on your blog, let's say you're blogging every single week or you're doing a podcast episode every single week or you're doing a video show every week, that consistency is going to help you immensely when it comes to email marketing, list building, people opening up your emails. And so when you're showing up every single week, they're going to start to pay attention even more. You become their go-to source. And when they see and hear from you online regularly, they're more likely to pay attention when you hit their inbox. And so what most people are not doing is they're not consistent. They're not showing up every single week with original content. So to me, that is a way to totally separate yourself from all of the competition. You're showing up with original content every single week. And what we do in our business and what a lot of people in my industry do is every time you have a new episode or a new blog, you're emailing your list. You're telling them why it's important, why they need to pay attention, why they need to click and go check it out. And so you're using your original content to build the relationship week by week inside the inbox. Another thing that works really well is video. So what we're doing as well, and I teach my students this, is to show up on video. Let them see your face. Let them hear you in real time, whether it be Insta stories or Facebook Live or Facebook stories or Snapchat. I think that visual that they have of you and going behind the scenes with you and learning a little bit more about you is going to help your chances of those people actually opening up your email when you hit their inbox. I think that's excellent uh, advice. So basically consistency is key and building a relationship is, is key. 
Yes. Uh, you know, when it comes to building an email list, uh, one of the major factors is having a compelling lead magnet, you know, something that you can give people in exchange for their email address. How, does a, how would a business determine what their lead magnet should be? So I always say that when you create a freebie, a lead magnet of any kind, you have to remember that getting somebody's name and email these days is a hot commodity. So you need to make sure that whatever you're creating is incredibly valuable for them. Now, a lot of people get stuck on the vehicle of how I'm going to deliver it. Should it be a PDF, like a checklist or a cheat sheet or a guide? Or should it be a video series? Or should it be a webinar? There's all these different ways to deliver your content. And I always tell my students, let's not focus on the vehicle just yet. Let's focus on what they really need right now, where they're at, and more importantly, how can you get them a quick win? So with lead magnets, you're always thinking about what can I share to have them maybe get through it in five to 10 minutes max and then take action and hopefully sooner than later see a quick win. Because when they get that quick win with your freebie, they think, this is good. I want more of this or this guy knows what he's talking about. I'm going to follow some more information that he's putting out there. A lot of the times people think of a freebie or a lead magnet or giveaway like a 50-page ebook. People are never going to read the 50-page ebook if it's free especially. They're not going to see the amazing value in it. And number two, it's going to take them too long to get through it and they'll never end up being a customer. So again, we're thinking of those quick wins, a five to 10 minute free video that you created or a cheat sheet check checklist or guide but more importantly, what are you telling them? What are you giving them to help them get that quick win? So essentially, you want to give them something that, that's going to benefit them, but not so overwhelming that they're not going to uh, read or watch the entirety of the content. Exactly. And I think it's important to start out with your freebie in terms of where they're at right now and to use the language, the phrases, the words that they are actually using. So I see a lot of mistakes in this that people want to teach in their freebie what their students should be asking about, but the students don't know to ask about it. So when you're thinking about creating a freebie, if you think, well, my students really need to know this, they don't know they need to know this yet, but they really need to know this information. Well, then it's not going to be attractive or valuable in the eyes of your potential customer. So meeting them where they're at, and then you can lead them to the information they should be asking about, but they don't know to ask. But that freebie is right where they're at, what they're thinking, what they want, what they need. You're meeting them right there. That's the first introduction to you. I think that's brilliant that, you know, you target people exactly where they're at. You have an understanding of what their needs are. And so, uh, you know, you're, you're positioning that content like ex exactly where their needs are. Uh, you know, to follow up with that, to create a great lead magnet, you have to have compelling content. You have to have uh, something that is going to lead them farther down the funnel. And you have a brilliant three-stage plan for creating content that takes care of premium content, the lead magnet, and the free content. Uh, can you describe that a little bit uh, with our listeners, how that works? 
Yeah. So a lot of the times when I'm talking about free content and premium content, which would be the paid content, a lot of my students will say, well, what should I give away for free versus what should I actually have people pay for? And the first thing I tell them is it's okay to have a little bit of overlap. So a lot of the free stuff that I have out there on my own podcast and my own blogs and all that good stuff, a lot of that can be found in my paid programs. However, in my paid programs, I go down deeper. I get more specific. I use more examples. And I also put it in a framework that's a roadmap for people from start to finish. So you can look around all my free stuff and kind of piece it together. But if you want to go from start to finish as fast as humanly possible to get results, let's say, to put together a webinar, then that's what you're paying for. I'm going to show you step by step where things fit and when you should do them. So with the free content, I always say there's a golden question you want to ask. And that is, what does my ideal customer need to know, understand, be aware of, or believe in order to ever want my paid stuff. So before they ever take out their wallet and pay for something with me, what do they need to first understand or be aware of or know? So let me give you an example. In my world, I teach how to do webinars. So before someone will ever pay me $1,000 to buy my webinar program, they first need to, one, understand the power of webinars. So my freebie is walking them through what webinars can do for your business and walking them through five stages to put together a webinar campaign so they really understand what a webinar campaign would look like. Before they ever want to buy buy a system, they need to understand what that system would look like. Also, taking it one step further, remember how I mentioned they need to know, you need to understand where your audience is starting from. A lot of my students will say, but I don't know what my webinar topic would be. So I'm not ready to buy a webinar program because I don't even have a topic. So one of my freebies is how to choose your webinar topic and title. So once they have that, then they're off to the races. They feel more set up to say, okay, I'm ready to invest. So when you're walking through the stages of building your freebie and then creating your lead magnet, having people sign up and then eventually buying, you need to start with what do they need to believe, understand, be aware of. You create your freebie. And then from there, you nurture your audience. So this is a question I get asked a lot. What do I do once someone joins my email list? And what I teach my students is that you need to nurture them. You need to slow down a little bit, emailing them every single week using stories and examples and more content in order to really build that relationship. And then when they really understand who you are, they start to trust you and like you, that's when you start to promote your programs, products, or services. But you've got to wait a little bit before you get there. So you can't go into the hard pitch right away. You kind of have to set up the whole world of what they're buying into and and describe it to them and and then they can wrap their head around it. And also they need to trust you. So you need to build that relationship before you go into uh, saying, buy my product. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that's where social media comes in because you're emailing them every single week, week once they get on your email list, but also hopefully they're following you on Facebook and Instagram and wherever else you're posting. And so they're seeing little bits and pieces of you and you behind the scenes and you with your family. I recently did a podcast episode where I interviewed my husband, Hobie, 
about what it's like to be married to an entrepreneur. And I thought the episode was okay. I was excited about it, but I thought, I hope it's not too indulgent where here I am talking to my husband and I didn't want it to be all about us. So I was a little nervous when it came out. And when it came out, it was my most popular episode by far. And I was talking to a good friend about it and she's in the industry with me. And she said, of course it is because people want to be invited into your life. They want to see the stuff beyond just the business stuff, which is hard for me sometimes because my mind is all business. But the second I take somebody behind the scenes and say, this is what my real life looks like, that trust and that affinity is there. And that is truly why people end up buying from you because they like you, they trust you. It's marketing 101. So that's where social media and email marketing and actually buying your products and services, that's where they all basically collide. No, I love it. No like and trust. Uh, it, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I want to shift the conversation for just a second. You know, once they've got their, their offer, their lead magnet and, and all that, when it comes to placing opt-in boxes, the places where you sign up uh, to, to get on your list, when it comes to placing those on the site, what are the areas that you consider the prime real estate? Where should people uh, be thinking about putting those opt-in boxes? I always tell my students that it's like a stacking effect and you want to start at the very top. So first, you want to start with your main hub, your website, and you should have some kind of freebie, some kind of lead magnet at the top of your website before the fold. So before they have to start scrolling, when they come to your website, you want to make sure you have some kind of freebie right at the top. And so that would be the first one that I would focus on. Now, that one is actually not going to get you the most leads, but it just sets the foundation. So from there, I think that it's important to create a standalone freebie with an opt-in page. So I use a tool called Lead Pages, and Lead Pages allows me to create a really simple opt-in page that is standalone, meaning it doesn't have to be attached to my website, but it looks really good and it's easy to create. You could connect it to your website easily, but the whole point is, let's say if you do a Facebook Live or you're on Instagram and you're talking about this freebie you created, instead of sending them to your website where if it's not the main freebie, let's say it's a secondary freebie you created, you don't want to send them to your website and have to hunt and peck and look for it. You could just say, go to this URL and boom, they're there and they can opt in. It's also good if you're sending ads directly to an opt-in like that. They know exactly what they need to do and they can opt in. So I like the idea of putting um, a standalone freebie on it, its own page as well as right there at the top of your website. Those are the two I would definitely have. Now there's a third one and that is called a content upgrade. And this is what I do in my own business. So if you go to, let's say, any of my blog posts, my blog posts are actually show notes for my podcast episodes, but if you go to one of my blog posts, you typically will see, more often than not, in the actual blog post, you'll see a button to get a freebie. And if you click that, a pop-up box appears. So it doesn't just appear randomly. You have to click a button, say, I want the freebie, and it's called a lead box. It's from the same company, Lead Pages. But instead of sending them off your website to a standalone landing page, it just pops up right there. They could sign up. They're good to go. And I love that functionality because it keeps it really, really simple. No, I love that. I think that's a brilliant idea how uh, 
it, it's not uh, like a set position, but they have to actually opt in and say like, hey, I want this freebie. And they're not going off site. They're staying on your site, but they're able to sign up right there. I think that's great. Exactly. Uh, another question I want to ask is social media, particularly Facebook, it's uh, really important. Um, a lot of people leverage advertising on social media. Uh, it's a strategic place to, to build a list and generate traction for your brand. So for a lot of our listeners are small businesses or they're, you know, some are medium-sized businesses, but a lot of them are savvy to marketing. But what's a realistic starting budget for Facebook ads uh, if you're a small business wanting to drive traffic or, or send people to some sort of uh, opt-in? So what I typically tell my students is that you want to start out small just so you can get your feet wet and start to experiment. So if you can experiment, let's say, with $10 a day, what you're experimenting with is to see how much, let's say you're trying to get leads, people to join your email list, how much are you paying per lead? And so let's say you're paying $5 per lead. So every day you're getting two new leads. What you need to look at is, okay, so if I get a new lead, how can I turn that new lead into a customer and how long is it going to take? All of this is guesstimating until you really know. But what's important is like for my business, I would pay $10 a lead because I know that I can convert well. And if my, my programs are between three to $400 all the way up to a thousand. So if I'm able to convert at a pretty good rate, then I can turn $10 into $1,000 pretty quickly. So you have to experiment. But I like to start out with, let's say, $10 a day just to get your feet wet for, let's say, a week or two. Get familiar with running ads and using images in your ads and writing the copy. Then you'll start to kind of figure out what's working. You get better at targeting. Your lead cost likely will go down. But that's what I like to uh, encourage my students to do. No, that's great. Uh, we're going to go to our midway break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking more with Amy Porterfield. See you in a second. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up-to-date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com, just like the podcast. We're coming back from our break, and we're continuing our conversation with Amy Porterfield. Uh, we're, before the break, we were talking about Facebook advertising, um, and social media advertising budgets, getting a sense of, of how much it costs to uh, get a lead and what kind of conversion you get out of that. One thing I wanted to ask you is with Facebook Live uh, video, they're really trying to compete uh, heavily against YouTube, and they're having a lot of success. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on Facebook Live video, and how can small businesses most effectively use it for building uh, their email list? This is such a great question because I've been studying Facebook Live for a while now and I use Facebook Live every single week inside of my own private Facebook groups and more recently on my Facebook page. 
And I think it is so incredibly powerful for two reasons. One, when you're live, again, your audience gets to see you in real life. You get to answer questions in real time and they're seeing your face and they're hearing from you. So again, when they make that connection with you, they're more likely to engage with you, whether it be through email or through a big promotion you're doing online. So the Facebook Live, in my opinion, is like that stacking effect. It's one more way for you to engage and create a relationship with your audience. But after it is live, because a lot of my students don't have big audiences yet, so they think, Amy, you know, five, ten people are on my Facebook Live broadcast. But I say, if you can go about 30 minutes on your Facebook Live, what's working right now is Facebook will reward you by pushing your video out there to more people because Facebook favors longer videos. They want people to watch longer videos, stay on Facebook longer. So if you can do, let's say, a 30-minute Facebook Live session, maybe it's you teaching and then doing some Q&A, that video is going to be pushed out to more people than you typically would get the option to get in front of. And then that Facebook Live automatically becomes a recording on your Facebook page. And that's where I see a lot of traction. If you put a really good title above the video, even after the fact, after it goes live, and you tell people what they're going to learn in the video and you encourage them to click and listen, you're going to get so much play after the fact that it's so valuable. Now, here's what's really great. You just asked about Facebook advertising. And one of my favorite ways to actually target with my Facebook ads is targeting my video views from my Facebook Live. It's one of the most powerful targeting audiences that I can tap into. So we do Facebook Lives and then we retarget all of those video views with my Facebook ads. And that combination has worked really well. So here's one thing I'll give you a tip though. When doing Facebook Live, what's gonna set you apart from your competition is showing up prepared. What I don't think is okay is wasting people's time showing up saying, hey guys, I just wanted to talk to you about this or that. I don't have anything prepared. I, I could get on a soapbox here, but I cringe when people think that it's cool not to be prepared and they're just gonna go by the seat of their pants. Not when you're doing business. Show up, tell people what you're going to teach them, teach them what you promised, and then you can be a little bit looser with the Q&A and some conversation at the end. People are busy. They're looking to you for answers. You show up prepared. You're going to stand out from the competition. I love that. Um, a couple of things that I'm taking away from that question or that answer is one thing that uh, opportunity that people have with Facebook advertising is to, to target video views. And if you can get enough engagement with that, it triggers something in the algorithm to where you're going to uh, get a natural boost from how Facebook like places that video. And the other thing that I'm getting from that as well is you want to treat it, uh, you know, professionally be prepared. Uh, don't, just have, uh, you know, random stuff floating through your head. Come with an agenda. Make sure that you're not wasting a second of people's time. Precisely. Awesome. Uh, next thing that I really wanted to inquire about is how important is it to have a unique voice and tone uh, in email marketing, uh, any, type of, any type of marketing? Uh, how crucial is it to, to finding your voice uh, to being successful in marketing? I think it is 
paramount that you pay attention to your messaging, your voice, your branding overall. And I think one of the secrets to success here is to become a student of copywriting. This is something that I talk about over and over again, something I did from day one in that I really studied what it meant to be a good copywriter. Because sure, when your business gets bigger, you can hire a copywriter. I have a copywriter on my team that helps with my copy for big promotions and big um, launches that we do. However, before I hired him, I wrote all my own copy from day one. And why that's so important is you figure out what your voice is. You figure out how you like to talk to your audience, what they respond to the most, the kind of tone that you want to have, and you really hone that. And so when you eventually do have more money and you hire someone to help you with the copy, they have something to model. They know what's already working and they just make it even better. So there's people that I love in the copywriting world. Um, I mean, there's so many different ones, different things that you can look into. But one of the, if I could, you want me just to name a few? Yeah, definitely, please. Okay, so um, I'm looking really fast. I literally had the book. Ugh, I had the book right here on my desk, and I can't even think of the name of it right now. Dang it, I wanted to share it with you. But a few, Nikki Elledge Brown is a great one. Um, Ray Edwards, that, I was looking for the name of his book, but you all can look it up. Ray Edwards has a great book you can look into. Um, there's a program called Copy Cure. It's one of my favorite. Um, so that's Marie Forleo and Laura Belgray. So those are three that you can look into. Uh, Joanna from Copy Hackers. Is that yeah, she's fantastic too. Yeah. Funny enough, she um, I have a connection with her through my copywriter. So yeah, she's great too. Very good, very good. Uh, you've recently updated your own website, and something that you stated is you learned a lot of lessons from this experience. You know, what were those things that you learned? Oh, I did a whole podcast episode about this because I made a lot of mistakes putting together my brand new website that just launched. And I think the biggest takeaway that I can share with you is that when I went into it, I didn't treat it like a project like I do for, let's say, my launches or my big promotion. And so there was no real good project plan put into place. I use a tool called Asana, A-S-A-N-A, -A, and Typically, anything we do in our business, we start out by putting a project plan in Asana, and I have one person on my team managing the whole process. Well, I didn't do it that way for some unknown reason. It was just a big mistake I made. I, or, I undervalued the, the work and time it would be that would be needed. Even though I hired someone to do the design, I still needed to be a part of it. So anyway, I eventually realized I had made a big mistake and we decided to get into Asana and create an entire project plan of what needed to be done, who needed to do it, and how we were going to get it done. And once we did that, things moved really quickly. So if you're thinking about creating a website from scratch or reworking the one that you have, treat it like a project. Give it a deadline, assign people to do this or to do that, and just make sure that you keep a pulse on it every single week. That will help immensely. Remote, John. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Next question that I wanted to ask too is, in a world of Facebook and Twitter, many smaller companies feel that they don't need a website. We run into this a lot in our own ecosystem, you know, locally. I, I think there's studies that say that 
you know, 40 to 50% of small businesses still don't have a website. Even if they do have one, it, it might be from 1995. Who knows? Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, on the website as, as a hub of your business? How important is it? What are people missing out on? I think this is a great question as well because it comes up a lot. I hear people say, do I really need a website? And I don't know about you, but before I do business with anybody, I still go and check them out online. I'll probably check their social channels and I'll definitely check to make sure they have a website. If they don't have a website, I automatically think they are not a legit company. I likely will never do business with somebody that does not have a website. Number two, if it's a 1995 website, I don't want to do business with anybody who is not staying, um, staying with the no, you know, staying current, I mean. And so because of that, I think we all need a website. Now, here's the greatest thing. Going back to the conversation about building my website, you also don't need a lot of bells and whistles. What you need is it to be clean, easy to navigate. And if you don't put a lot of information on there, that's probably for the best. Because depending on what you do, they need to go there and instantly know not just who you are, but if they are actually a good fit for what you're offering. So right away, whatever information you have on your website, make sure that people will know who you are and if they are a good fit for what you're offering. So having an about page, having a contact me page, if you have services or packages, making those readily available on your website, so very important. Now, if you think that Facebook is enough and that's where you get your engagement so you don't need a website, or if you think any social media site can take the place of that, you are dead wrong because Facebook changes every single day. Social media is constantly changing and you do not want to build the foundation of your business on somebody else's business. And that's exactly what you're doing. So you have to go pro. You have to be legit. And to do that, you definitely need a website, not a super fancy one, but you need a website. I love how you put that uh, to, you know, uh, people, um, if they're building their, their empire on a Facebook page, uh, you are beholden to their rules. And so you're going to pay for any traffic that comes through that. But your email list and your website are two things that you always own. Uh, social so media. True. Is, Social media is great, but it's the garnish, not the main course. Uh, yeah, um, I'd like to say something about that as well, John and Amy. Um, I think it, I just want to see if Amy agrees with this. I also think I totally agree with you, Amy, about keep it simple initially because I think you need to get feedback from your audience, really, or you know, you need to get a feel about what content on your website really. Um, engages your audience and also gets leads and um, until you get that start getting that feedback in some ways you're guessing what do you feel about that Amy? Oh I totally agree with you I've made the mistake especially early on in growing my business where I fully fleshed out an idea and I put all this stuff together and then down the road realized this is not exactly what my students want or my audience is responding to so you're you're right putting just doing the basics of what you need to do and start listening and asking questions and then building upon the feedback you're getting and all that you do in online business, I think is so smart. No, I think that's great. Um, and last question that I have is, you know, what are some common 
mistakes, marketing mistakes that you see uh, smaller companies make and, and what are things that people can avoid? Uh, what missteps can people avoid in, in marketing? Great question. The number one thing I think that I see people make in mistakes I see them make in small business is trying to do too much. And I worked with Tony Robbins for many, many years. And one thing that I took away from that experience is that he taught me that if I'm doing a bunch of little things at once, no one thing is ever going to get my full attention, which means it will likely take me a long time to get to the finish line or I'll lose interest or passion and won't ever get there. And so what I say to my students is we need to have blinders on. We need to work on one project at a time. Now, in an ideal world, that would just really mean just one thing and you don't work on anything else. But we're realist, and that's not what I mean by that. What I mean is there's one project. Of course, you still have to answer emails. Of course, you still need to, to tend to customer service or do this or that in the business. But there's one core thing that you're focusing on. So for an example, right now in my business, the core thing I'm focusing on is um, reworking an online training program I have. I'm making it better. So until this program is reworked and relaunched, I'm not going to start anything new. I'm not going to allow myself to say yes to opportunities because they sound really good. I'm going to say no to most everything until this one core project is done. And so I think putting the blinders on, focusing on one thing, getting it done and moving on to the next thing is exactly what you need to do to get to the finish line. One more thing I'll add to that is I also see a lot of people saying yes to things for the wrong reasons. And usually the wrong reason is ego. I recently did a little post about this that um, I was featured on a Forbes article with 17 online entrepreneurs to watch. And I was featured with some really big names in the industry. And I wrote that I would have never gotten there if I wanted to always put myself out there for exposure, meaning say yes to every speaking gig anybody invited me to, and say yes to partnership opportunities because it would make me look good or get me that exposure. Exposure doesn't pay the bills. So what I said in that article is I think I got here because I put my head down and I did the work. Every single day, I do one thing in my business that is literally moving me forward to the finish line. Instead of talking about it, instead of dreaming about it, I literally sit down and get the work done. And I believe that too many people talk about it and don't actually do it. So if you're starting out or if you're struggling in your business, Look at how much you're actually doing moving toward one main project versus how much you're spreading yourself too thin. Usually that's a telltale sign. That's something you likely want to tweak. The stellar advice. Jonathan, any, uh, any questions you have for Amy? No, I, I just thought that was a fantastic answer, actually, and it, um, it applies to me. I, I have a terrible tendency, probably John will agree, I have a terrible tendency, Amy, of taking on too much. I'm trying to concentrate um, on just concentrating heavily on one doable thing at a time. And um, um, I put a plan of action in recently. Partly listening, because you've talked about this in your podcast and some of your other conversation. And I have listened, Amy, and thanks for that input. Well, you're so welcome. And you're not alone. I think it's so normal that you spread yourself too thin and you take on too much. I think we all do it. I think the people that actually are the people that are going to have the most success recognize it and think, okay, I'm putting my head down 
and I'm going to get down to business. And it's not as fun all the time, but once you get into the routine, it's very satisfying and rewarding. So thanks for sharing that. I think it's a bit deeper in the culture, actually, Amy. I actually think um, this culture of multitasking is encouraged by a certain element yes. of the online community. And um, the actual scientific proof proves that females are slightly better at it. But both females and males are, when, when scientifically analysed, it's a terrible concept. And um, yes. like what you said, the outcomes are normally pretty dismal um, rather than just concentrating on one task at a time. So true. Oh, there you go. That's an achievement. John, I got approval for baby. So that's great. Okay, awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, with that, we'll, we'll conclude this podcast episode. Uh, let everybody know where they can find them. Amy, where can people get a hold of you and follow you? And is there anything uh, that you want to divert people's attention to and promote? Well, thanks for asking. If you go to amyporterfield.com, there's a lot of great freebies there, podcast episodes, things that will help you out. So definitely check that out. List Builders Lab is my list building program that depending on when this airs in July, it will be brand new. So it's worth checking out for sure. Well, people will definitely be able to check it out. Uh, this, This should be live within the week. So uh, great so they can check that out jonathan how do we get a hold of you oh it's quite easy folks i'm a bit of an open book if you do a search for jonathan denwood but the best ways um is twitter at jonathan denwood um i'm being a lot more proactive on facebook or you could even email me um folks obviously we all get inundated by email but if it's a sense if it's an honest question i'm always there to help other business people or people trying to improve their business so you've got any questions or feedback about the show just email me at jonathan at wp-tonic.com and you'll get a personal reply from me in a couple of days later and people can get a hold of me you can find me at my website it's lockdowndesign.com you can follow me on twitter lockdown underscore for the wp tonic we're saying peace out and get your dose Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.